Hello and welcome to Back to Basics Birthing. My name is Vicki Hobbs and I'm here to guide you, support you and provide you with information so you're feeling excited and confident about your birth. Birth is an incredible event, no matter how it happens. So I'm here to help you take the fear out of birth through education, planning and preparation. So welcome to episode 14, part one, protecting your rights. I'm doing this podcast because I feel sick to my stomach after a woman in a local Perth hospital was abused by her care providers. She was screaming for the obstetrician to stop while performing a vaginal exam. When her doula arrived, this woman was screaming, stop, you are hurting me. There were several people in that room that made no effort to help this woman, to support this woman and to call out the actions of the obstetrician assaulting this woman. Continuing to do something when you have been told no or to stop is assault. Just because you're having a baby, it doesn't mean that your body is open to this abuse. Let me start by saying that all birth workers should be dedicated to the rights of childbearing women. If you have chosen to work in this industry where you are supporting a woman through her childbirth, whether you're an obstetrician or a midwife or a doula or any other type of birth worker, then it's your responsibility to support and to protect that woman so she feels safe and respected during the most vulnerable time of her life. Women need to know that they have rights. They can refuse treatment without discrimination without shame or disrespect and healthcare providers need to support a woman's choice whether they like it or not. Just because a woman is having a baby does not mean that she loses her voice, her rights to her body or her dignity. But for some reason, some some healthcare providers seem to have different ideas about this. Some have become so desensitised to a woman's vulnerability and say things like, once you arrive at hospital to have your baby, all dignity goes out the door. No, this is not acceptable. In fact, it's just absolute bollocks. So we have to stop saying this to women. Care providers have to stop saying this to women. They need to be doing everything that they can to ensure that that woman feels safe and protected, especially keeping her dignity intact. A simple act of covering the woman with a sheet when she's naked and others are coming into the room, closing the door to give privacy, or knocking and waiting to be, in, um, to be invited into the room, then introducing yourself and sharing what you do and why you're there, That is just an act of respect for that woman in her most vulnerable moments. The way a woman is treated during labour and birth can have a massive impact on her postpartum experience. Did you know that the leading cause of maternal death in Australia is suicide? That woman who has been mistreated and has had a traumatic birth will leave that hospital, probably never seen again by those care providers who attended her birth. And what if she slips through the cracks and is forgotten? The care providers are on to the next patient, clocking up the number of babies that they've delivered in the shortest amount of time. But that woman relives the experience over and over and over. 
And don't get me started on the word delivered. Let's give women credit for all the hard work that they did in birthing their baby. Nobody delivered that baby to her. She friggin' worked her mind, her body and all of her emotions to the absolute limits to bring that baby into the world. And she deserves all the acknowledgement for birthing that baby. It is so important to highlight that what healthcare providers class as a good birth may have been, in fact, an incredibly traumatic experience for that woman. She might smile on cue and look at her baby with love. And on the outside, she looks super happy and ready to begin her journey into motherhood. But inside, she may be lifeless, sad, shocked, disappointed, disengaged, grieving, turmoil and conflicting emotions consuming her, eating away at her and destroying any hope and happiness within her. But she has a baby in her arms and everyone expects her to be happy and grateful. Look, you have a healthy baby. You should be feeling grateful. More women than ever before are seeking out therapy and birth trauma counsellors after their birth. Not because the birth didn't go to plan, not because they ended up with interventions or a caesarean, but more because they were treated like a piece of meat. They weren't listened to. They weren't shown respect. They were mocked and ridiculed, eye rolls and sniggers, and they were bullied with words such as, don't you want to have a live baby? So many women experience birth trauma and they become another victim. Women need to know that they have the right to consent they have the right to not consent to medical and obstetric procedures and they have the right to withdraw consent at any time as well. So you may, have been, you may have been exposed to care providers who do not show kindness and compassion to you and have treated you in a horrible way, even assaulted you, not taking no as no and continuing to engage in actions against a woman's will. For example, vaginal exams without consent, episiotomies without consent, being stabbed with needles, being forced into positions that cause them more pain so it's easier for the care providers rather than being encouraged to get into positions that feels instinctively right for the birthing woman. Stretch and sweeps without consent or even knowledge to the woman. This is not okay and if you feel that you've been mistreated, then it's important for you to speak out, find your voice, make those care providers accountable for those actions. Forcing a woman to have medical procedures without consent is against the law. Why is it as a community we are shocked, we're disgusted when women are sexually abused? We demand that no means no, but in childbirth, Care providers are not listening when a woman says no or says stop when she's in pain or being treated brutally during treatment. Women are told to shush. They're told, I know it hurts, but I have to do this. They're told just a little bit longer while their fingers are poking and prodding and rummaging around going deeper and deeper into an already sensitive and vulnerable body part. They're told just be a good girl. They are told, stop making so much noise. They are, they are told, do you think that you're the only woman that's ever given birth? And sometimes they're just told to shut up. 
No means no in any set of circumstances. Even more powerful is to say, I do not consent or I withdraw consent now. You can choose to consent or withdraw consent at any time. If something doesn't feel right, then withdraw the consent. You have that right. You have permission to say no. It is important for women who have been abused, assaulted or mistreated during their labour and birth to make a formal complaint to the right authorities, whether that's directly to the hospital or to APRA, because the more complaints care providers have against them, then the more something will be done about it. We need women to talk. We need birth workers to talk. We need midwives to talk to expose this disgraceful behaviour by some care providers in hospitals. We need these care providers who are abusing women to be reported. We need them gone from the system. When you're in a room while a woman is being subjected to this kind of abuse and you turn a blind eye, you are just as bad as the person abusing that woman. When a woman is crying, screaming and pleading for her care provider to stop and you stand back and be silent, you continue to perpetuate this behaviour against women and you continue to protect the abuser and therefore they continue to go on and keep damaging other women. It's time to put a stop to this violent birth culture that we have and this is not just something that happens in different countries. This is happening right here in Australia. It's got to stop. Now we know that all hospitals have policies and procedures in place for their protection, for the safety and protection of their staff members and for the efficient running of the system. Now there's a difference between policies, procedures and guidelines. A policy is something that is mandatory for the hospital and its employees. It is non-negotiable non for them and will apply equally and without deviation by all its employees. So for instance, there may be a policy that staff members cannot smoke inside the premises or on the premises. If a staff member is found smoking inside the hospital or on hospital property, then that could be grounds for dismissal. So there are consequences to a staff member going against a policy in that respect. Care providers, so midwives and obstetricians, often use the term policy when, re when referring a woman to their guidelines. And this is incorrect. And we need to start educating women about this. There are no policies that say a pregnant or labouring woman must do something that their care provider has told them to do. This is clearly stated in the Australian Medical Association Maternity Decision Making Guidelines. If someone is saying it is our policy for a woman to do something, then that woman should ask for the hospital legal team to bring her that documentation for that policy so that she can present that to her own legal team because what she is being told is she has no choice. It is not negotiable and she must do as she's told and this goes against human rights. For patients in a hospital, there are clinical guidelines based on recommendations, opinions and research by their governing body. So for instance, the governing body for maternity care in Australia is the Royal Australian and New Zealand 
College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, so RANSCOG. A guideline makes recommendations that can be accepted or declined and there can be no forced compliance with a recommendation. The midwife or obstetrician should go through these guidelines with a woman during her antenatal appointments, but also should tell her that she does not have to consent to them because they are guidelines. They are not the law. Unfortunately, this rarely happens. So a woman may be led to believe that she has no choice and she has to adhere to what she's been told to do. What you as a pregnant woman need to do is use your brain to ask all the right questions to get all the information you need to make an informed choice. So what do I mean when I say use your brain? It's an acronym of what you can ask or do. So asking what are the benefits of doing what you suggest? What are the risks involved of doing what you're suggesting to me? What are the alternatives? Asking yourself, what do your instincts tell you about what is being suggested to you? And also ask, what if we do nothing? What if we just wait and see? What if we reassess everything in an hour's time? Women have the right to take control and ownership of their birth and their body while also preventing unnecessary routine interventions. Every woman must be provided with all the information she needs to make an informed choice and that choice must be respected by everyone working for her, whether they like it or not. And that is again clearly stated in the Australian Medical Association Maternity Decision Making Guidelines. And if you're not happy with the information that is being provided to you, then ask for the Cochrane Review that supports their recommendations. There is even a great hashtag that most birth workers are using, which is hashtag show me your Cochrane. And also know, nobody is allowed to not allow you. You can say, you are not allowed to not allow me. To be fair to healthcare providers, many have the best interest of mother and baby at the forefront of what they do. And they feel that they can control a managed birth a lot better than a spontaneous one. However, that does not give the provider the right or the justification to bully, coerce or manipulate women into deciding based on their recommendations. The term not allowed is the latest catchphrase in maternity care and I see so much of it in social media. I'm not allowed to go past 39 weeks. I'm not allowed to have intermittent monitoring. I'm not allowed to have a VBAC. I'm not allowed to get into the shower or get into the bath. And I'm not allowed to wait for spontaneous labour. We need to educate women that if they're provided with all the benefits and risks of options, then they can make a choice based on their set of circumstances. Using medical terms to make a woman more compliant to recommendations is also starting to increase, particularly around so-called high-risk women women who have gestational diabetes, high BMI, advanced maternal age, going past their due dates, group B strep positive. Women must challenge the use of, use of the term not allowed when discussing their choices. Again, I keep saying it, there is no one size fits all, but maternity caregivers are trying to make it so by forcing the clinical guidelines of the hospital on every single woman whether they are high risk or not. 
There is also a difference between informed choice and informed compliance. One is based on honesty, respect and trust and the other is based on manipulation, lies and coercion. When you have informed choice, this will ultimately lead to informed consent or informed refusal. And again, this is a basic human right. We also have to move away from the paternalistic views of birth, where everyone thinks that the doctor or nurses know best. We have to start listening to women, trusting in their ability to make informed choices based on their circumstances, and that every woman, every pregnancy and every birth is unique. Guidelines have to be evidence-based, but also provide for individual circumstances and must never be used to dictate how a woman labours and births. These guidelines should be focused around shared decision-making, respect and trust. When presenting guidelines, the care provider should also disclose the level of evidence. Is it a high level? Is it opinion-based or weak? Because let's face it, sometimes that body of evidence could just be a peer discussion that was had in the lunchroom or on the golf course. There are always going to be times where a woman makes the wrong choice, just like doctors. They can make the wrong choice as well. So the key is to help women own their choices. I have a saying that with choice comes responsibility and consequences. Sometimes those choices have negative consequences and outcomes, but you still have to own it if you chose it. We also acknowledge that first-time mothers are more likely to follow the guidance of their healthcare providers, even if they have done independent childbirth education or they have a support of a doula. They don't know what to expect or how they'll react to different scenarios or special circumstances. So it makes sense that they turn to the one that they consider to be the expert in the room. They are more likely to consent to recommendations based on fear and coercion during their most vulnerable moments in labour. It is usually after the birth, particularly during debriefing, where they suspect that they've been manipulated or bullied into treatment. And therefore, they become more confident for their next births in protecting their right to choose. However, it's also common that with their next pregnancies, this brings up deep underlying trauma and fears from their previous birth. So what is the informed consent process? So Dr. Rachel Reed from Midwife Thinking, who is a private midwife, researcher, lecturer and author, states that there's a difference between informing and recommending. The informed consent process has three components and makes the distinction between information and opinion. So one, the healthcare provider informs the patient this is, a, this is an unbiased, objective review of the risks and benefits of the woman's options. Two, the healthcare provider gives their recommendations of what they think the woman should do and why. This is the care provider's subjective or biased opinion based on various factors that they provide to the woman. And then three, the woman makes their decision and the care provider supports them since they know that the woman made their decision based on the thorough review of their options. It is the healthcare provider's ethical obligation to provide a clear and easy to understand review of the mother's options. However, sometimes the care provider actually believes the information that they give out 
is the best and the most accurate. No matter what hospital guidelines say, a woman still has legal authority over her body. Signing a consent form does not mean she has signed away her rights or her ability to, to decline a procedure, even if they're based on hospital guidelines. If consent is not gained prior to a procedure, it could lead to an action for trespass to the person. So for example, assault and or battery. For consent to be valid, it must have at least three elements, be voluntary and freely given, come from a competent person and be specific to the treatment or the procedure. The first element is where I think most breaches take place in maternity care situations. In order for this element to be satisfied, the person must not be under any undue influence or coercion. There must be no misrepresentation, whether deliberate or mistaken, as to the nature or necessity of a procedure. And why are birth plans so important? So a birth plan is not a legal document, but it can be used in a court of law to show what the woman's preferences were. A birth plan will ensure that the wants and needs of the mother are the most important part of her care, rather than the wants and needs of her care providers. A woman needs to make sure her partner and her birth team are all working together to honour her preferences and make her birth the best that it can possibly be under any circumstances. If she does not feel her care providers are supporting her birth plan, then she has a choice. She can change providers to a more supportive one. A birth plan does not mean that she cannot change her mind later on as well. But what it does is it sets a platform for discussion, informed consent and trust. And do this early, rather than towards the end of your pregnancy, where there may be more challenges if you want to change care providers. I also suggest that you take several copies of your birth plan and those AMA guidelines when arriving at the hospital during labour and have those on hand in your birthing suite for anyone who hasn't seen your birth plan. Again, it's also important to know that consent can be withdrawn at any time. The key thing is to make sure your birth team are all on the same page and know what you want. Don't lock in a healthcare provider until you're certain that they are going to support your decisions and you can do that by asking relevant questions. If they are not on the same page or you notice red flags during your discussions, then you have time to, to make a choice and seek out another care provider. You can also document discussions that you have with your care provider, particularly around a risk or benefit and ask for the research or evidence. If you are not satisfied that you've been provided with evidence-based information, then you can say, I understand what you've told me about the risks and benefits of that recommendation and I still decline or I still do not consent to that. If a healthcare provider continues to harass you about a recommendation, then you can say, I'd like to see that policy, that research, that evidence in writing. And I'd like you to notify your legal department that you are going to force me to have an intervention or treatment that I've formally declined. If that doesn't work, then ask to speak to the hospital or patient advocate who will then need to document all discussions between you and your care provider. 
This is another benefit of having a birth plan documented in your file. And the law is on your side, says Bashi Kumar Hazard, who is a human rights and consumer lawyer and director of human rights in childbirth based in Sydney. So she says reports received by human rights in childbirth indicate that care provider pushback and hostility towards birth plans occurs most in facilities with fragmented care or where policies are elevated over the woman's individual needs. Mothers report their birth plans are criticised or outright rejected on the basis that birth is unpredictable. There is no logic in this. If anything, greater planning would facilitate smoother outcomes in the event of unanticipated eventualities. In truth, it is not the case that these care providers don't have a birth plan. There is a birth plan, one driven purely by care providers and hospital protocols without discussion with the woman. This offends the legal and human rights of the woman concerned and has been identified as a systemic form of abuse and disrespect in childbirth. Just remember, this is your birth. So make sure you're feeling confident, educated and prepared for your birth. It's your body, your baby, your choice. Thank you for listening to Back to Basics Birthing. If you would like to get more information about my childbirth education classes, Hypnobirthing Australia classes, fear release sessions, online course, VBAC education, pregnancy massage, or any of my other services, please visit my website at backtobasicsbirthing.com.au.